Good morning, church. Welcome. So excited to see each and every one of you. Glad that you are here. Looking forward to what God's going to do. All right. Some people are excited about church. Praise the Lord. This is great. Welcome. This is your first time here. You are our VIP, our honored guest. We're excited you're here. It was a full house in the 9 o'clock service, and we are filling it up in the 11 o'clock. It's just kind of exciting what God is doing here. I know sometimes you come to the 11 o'clock and you're like, well, hey, was there anybody here at the 9? Yes, it was full. It's why we went to double services, so we're excited that you're here. And we're in a series entitled Found Favor. And throughout this series, we are studying what is the favor of God. And uh, we're asking ourselves one very important question. What is the one thing you want out of life? The one thing, if you could pick anything. And we're asking ourselves this question because it's so powerful, because oftentimes people would say, if I could have one thing, I would want fame. Man, if I could just be famous, or man, if I could just have a fortune, if I could just have a lot of money. Or some people, I just want a family. Other people, I just want fulfillment. If I just had something that's satisfied in my life, then that's what I would want. But we're coming back to say, no, we want the favor of God. You say, why is that so important? In Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, he wrote this. He said, a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. And then he said, favor than silver and gold. Isn't that amazing? He said, hey, if you're going to pick between favor and gold, he said, go with favor. Today, we would almost go the opposite. Hey, you're going to give me money right now? Ah, I'll take the money. I'll take the money. But he's saying choose favor. So we're studying what is favor? How does it act? What does it do? Why should I seek it? Why would I want God's favor? And so we're going to dive into that. If you have your Bibles, would you go to John chapter number 5? If you don't have your Bible, a copy of the Word of God will be in John chapter, it will be in your worship guide as we turn to John 5. It'll also be up on the screen, John chapter number 5. And as you're turning there, would you turn to your neighbor and would you give them a great big smile and say, you came to the right place. You came to the right place. Excellent, excellent. Now would you turn to your other neighbor, the second choice, and tell them as well. That they are, it's great that they're here. Don't you hate that? You know, there's always somebody kind of gets left out when I do that. Uh, I know, it's terrible. John chapter number five. This morning we're going to be studying this thought of connection. Connection. Any of you ever messed up, missed a connection flight, a connecting flight? You ever missed one of those? Yeah, it's happened to me. It's kind of frustrating when you miss the connection. Any of you uh, been in a scenario where somebody says a joke and you don't quite get it, you miss the connection? Yeah, yeah. You're like, no, that never happens to me. I'm actually blonde, so it has to be all the time. All the time. All right? I, I, I will admit that. Uh, when I first moved to San Jose about nine years ago, I was driving with my pastor. We go down Monterey Highway, right in between Capitol, just before you get to Kirtner. As you look off to the left, there's the Oak Hill Cemetery. And we were passing by the cemetery. And my pastor looks up and he says, yeah, it's the Oak Hill Cemetery. And we're just talking about it. He says, you know, if you live in San Jose, they won't bury you there. And I was like, man, that's just like wrong. Like, what do you mean they won't bury you? And it kind of rolls eyes. It was like, if you live in San Jose, they won't bury you there. You see what I mean? We can miss the connection. It took me a little while. Some of you, it's going to hit you like, you know, in the middle of the sermon. Everyone should be quiet. It's going gonna, it's gonna to hit you. Or maybe on the way home, you're like, I get it. I get it. All right. If you live, you can't. Yeah. All right. So we miss the connection. Life is all about connections. Have you ever heard somebody say, hey, I can get you some Warriors tickets because I got connections. I got connections. And if you have those connections, hey, hook a brother up, okay? All right, after service, we'll talk for next season. Or you say, hey, I've got a friend. He works for Google, and he can get you a job. And they say, because I have a connection. I have a connection. When I approach the Word of God, I'm looking for the connection. 
I'm looking at how the eternal principles connect to my daily existence. I'm looking for the connection. That's why we go to God's Word. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about the connection. Let's begin in verse number 1. The Bible says this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem a sheep gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida. Bethsaida means the house of mercy. means the house of mercy. I think every time we look at Scripture, we need to dive into not just gloss over these names, but find out the deeper meaning. See what's there underneath the surface. So here is the house of mercy, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse number three. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. After the stirring of the water, whoever stepped in first was healed of whatever disease he had. And one who was sitting there had been there an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and and learned that he had been in that condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Verse number seven, sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I try to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Isn't it frustrating when you can see the solution to your situation, but you can't get there? You can see a better future, but you're just trapped. You see, that's where this invalid is. He can see the pool. He can see what has the potential to change his circumstances, but he can't get there. Think about it. A blind person may not have his sight, but yet he can beat the person into the pool that doesn't have the use of his arms or legs. And so imagine day after day after day for 38 years, here's this invalid man. He's laid there on this mat just waiting, hoping something would happen. Imagine a day comes where he's kind of gotten close and he's crawled and he's almost there and somebody beats him into the pool. So that's this person's existence. This is his life. This is his frustration. Sometimes when we approach Scripture, we've got to put ourselves into the passage. So the hardest thing sometimes is to see where you can't go. Maybe you can see where your marriage should be, and it's not. Maybe you can see where you want your children to be, and they're not there. Maybe you can see where you want your job to be, and it's not there. And that's your frustration this morning. You can see a better day, but you're just not quite there. Here's what Jesus says in verse number 8. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which he took place was a Sabbath. Can we tone this mic down just a bit? It's a little bit of feedback. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is the fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Verse 13, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use this message. I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would do what I simply cannot do. I pray that your word would meet the needs of those that are here this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it's powerful, it's quick, and it does a work that we can poss- can't possibly imagine. I pray that you would speak to hearts. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Make the connection.
Here we see a man in a situation where he is lacking the ability to save himself. He's in a desperate situation. He's in a situation where he's frustrated, a situation where it just seems like he's so close, but yet so far. My wife and I, we've toured the Holy Land, and we've been to this exact same pool. That's still there to this day. There's about three of the five colonnades are still standing, or pillars. They're still there. And you can go to this area, and you can see it. And so we've been there. We've pictured it. But here's this man in this situation. It's a desperate situation. It's a sad situation. But I want you to see what God does. God does a miracle in this man's life. Matter of fact, the man was a miracle. A miracle happened. We see it right here in this passage. Jesus says to him in verse number six, hey, do you want to get well? And then in verse number eight, Jesus says, get up, pick up your mat and go your way. You're healed. He was cured. The man became a miracle. Something amazing happened in just in a moment. But I look back at a particular question that Jesus asked him in verse number six. He says to the lame man, do you want to get well? Do you want to? Isn't that interesting that Jesus asked that question? Come on, the guy's laid there for 38 years. What do you think? No, I'm good, Jesus. There's some other people that they want a healing, but no, 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 not me. No, no, of course he wanted to be healed. But how come he doesn't say, yes, I want to be healed? Instead, what does he do? He gives an excuse. Hey, somebody else is always there. I don't have anybody to help me. And I've met people like that. Instead of getting the help that they need, they just make excuses. Instead of saying, yes, I need help. Yes, I want to be whole. He was hiding something, wasn't he? He was hiding. You know, God can't heal what you hide. He can't. So many times we hide behind things. We hide things about us. But you say, why would this guy hide things? Because pain blocks perspective. When you're going through a difficult situation, your pain blocks your perspective. Isn't it amazing that you can make better decisions for your friend than sometimes they can make? You say, what do you mean? Have you ever had a friend that dated the wrong person, married the wrong person, got the wrong job? We all say, yeah, we've seen that. Or spent their money on something they shouldn't have spent their money on. Why is it that you could see the trouble coming, but they couldn't? And you're not one to rub it in, but yes, you are. You're going to rub it in. You're just that way. You know, it's your friend, you know. And, and you, you, you're like, I told you not to date him. I told you not to date her. I told you not to buy that car. I told you not. Isn't it amazing why we know better? You know why that is? It's because you and I are not emotionally involved. Our emotions cloud our judgment. And so we can make decisions. Why? Because of our emotions. And so this man, he can't even make the right decision. Why? Because his perspective is blocked by his pain. This guy's gone through a lot of pain. He suffered a lot. But here's Jesus. He walks through a crowd of people to the one. And I thought about that. I thought, Jesus, why would you walk through a crowd of sick people and just pick out the one person? Right? Like, Jesus, you could walk through the crowd and people could just reach out and touch the hem of your garment and they'll be healed just like the one woman was. How come you didn't just walk through the crowd and start touching people, healing people? Why did you walk through the crowd, ignore all the other sick people, ignoring all the other people that are hurting and all the other people that are suffering, and you chose to heal the one person? Why, Lord? But then it came back to this. Favor. This man had God's favor. Now, immediately we say, well, that's, that's just not right. That's just not right. I mean, think about it. This guy's been there 38 years. I'm sure there was a child that was sick. Maybe the child, they should have been healed. Or maybe there was a father and he needed to be healed because if he passes away, his wife will be a widow and his children will be orphaned. So, no, that's wrong. Jesus, why did you heal that particular person? 
because of God's favor. God wants to do something. God wants to show his favor. But what is favor based on? We said it's from that Greek word charis, which means God's grace and kindness. But I need you to understand that it's not about convenience. It's about a connection. You say, what do you mean? You see, it would have been convenient to just heal him, but that's not what Jesus was trying to do. Jesus was trying to get this man to make a connection with something. He wasn't just, hey, I'm going to heal you so your life is better. No, no, I need you to make a deeper connection. I need you to get away from the mat type of thinking, and I need you to get in a new type of thinking. Because that's what happens. We get stuck in a way and a mentality of doing things, and God wants to change it. This man was stuck in a way of doing things and a way of thinking of things, and God was saying, hey, I need you to make a new connection. And for some of you this morning, you're about to make a new connection. And that's the goal. It's not just for convenience. It's not just to heal you. It's about a new connection. But you say, I still don't like it. I still, I still disagree. Because you need to understand, favor is not fair. It's not fair. God's favor isn't fair. Come on, you've been to a job and the one guy got the raise that you thought you deserved and they got it? Hey, you've seen people that you say they're not even all that great of people. How come God is blessing them and God is taking care of them? Look at their life. Lord, don't I deserve some favor? Don't I deserve some blessing? But you need to understand, it's not about what's fair. It's about God's favor. You say, well, this guy, I I don't even know if he was a very good guy. Matter of fact, the Bible says it was his infirmity that put him there. If you study that word infirmity, you find out that the man was paralyzed because of a decision that he made. And the decision was a sinful decision that he made. It was his fault that he was lame. It was his fault that he was paralyzed. He did something sinful and he for 38 years paid the price for it. So it's not even based on he didn't even get healed because he was a good person. It had nothing to do with his goodness. Do you know what it had everything to do with? The grace of God. It wasn't his goodness. It was God's grace. And isn't that amazing? Because God reached down and he saves you and I and it has nothing to do with who we are. We don't deserve it. Hey, me on my best day do not deserve the grace that God has shown me. Me on the day that, man, I read the whole book of Leviticus and, man, I fasted for a week and, man, I took the wife out and, man, I took the kids out and and I tithed and I went to Sunday school and I went to church and, man, I told people about Jesus. Even on that day, God doesn't say, oh, whoa, wait, hey, stop heaven. Check it out. Micaiah Ermler, San Jose, California. He's finally worthy of grace. No. No. What is grace? God's unmerited favor. I can't earn it. I can't achieve it. There's nothing I can do for it. There was nothing this man could do. But God looked down and said, I'm going to give it to you. The word for this is condescending favor. We don't like the word condescending, do we? You ever been in a conversation where somebody was talking to you in a condescending manner? And you're just like, can you just stop? Like, I see what you're doing. You're just talking down to me. But here's the thing when we understand condescending favor. It's not as bad as it sounds. Imagine today you're going to go to London. And you're there in London. All of a sudden, there is the Duke and Duchess or Prince William and... uh, Prince Harry, and there is Kate, and all of a sudden they got their bodyguards, their entourage, and they're walking by, and you see them, and Kate Middleton, she turns, and she sees you, and she points to you, and she says, you, selfie time, right now. And then you're like, that's right, it's selfie time with the Duchess, I'm going over there, Uh uh-huh, don't mind if I do. Do I need to put my pinky out when we take the selfie? What do I need to do? I mean, we're here in London, how does this thing roll? And all of a sudden you get a selfie with the, the royal family. What are they doing? 
They're showing you favor that you don't deserve. They picked you out of a crowd. It's condescending. They are up here and they're reaching down. What did God do? He left heaven, the glory, awesome majesty of heaven, and he came down to this earth. Why? Condescending favor to pour down on you. Why? Because it's not how good we are. It's about how great he is. You see, what happens nowadays, we want to lift ourselves up, and God is saying, no, it's not about lifting yourself up. It's about lifting the name of Jesus up. That's what it's all about. So here's this condescending favor. This man, he was a miracle. Why? Because God's favor poured out on his life. God wants to do a miracle in your life, but it's not because you deserve it. It's because of what he wants to do. But notice, when God does this miracle, what does he say to him? Notice if you would, verse number eight. Jesus says this, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Hold on now. Okay. If I've laid on a mat for 38 years and now I'm whole, I can walk, I can dance a jig if I want to. Do you honestly think I care about taking that mat with me? Not in your life. Like, I don't care if I ever see that mat again. I've been on that mat for 38 years. That mat can just stay there. It can be for the next lame guy that needs to be there for 38 years. But it's not going to be me. That mat, I'm done with it. But why does Jesus say, pick up the mat? It just bothered me. Then I realized we all have a mat. You say, what do you mean we all have a mat? Yeah, I got my mat this morning. This is my mat. This is my yoga mat. This is my hot yoga, my regular yoga, my Pilates. I know I need to turn in my man card. I just admit it. I do yoga. I know. Just don't hold it against me. But we've all got a mat this morning. And the mat has a message. Why else would Jesus say to pick it up? Because the mat has a message this morning. You see, the mat was the guy's former existence. This is what carried the man for 38 years, the mat. What did Jesus do? He said, pick it up. He said, carry what has been carrying you. He said, carry what has been carrying you. You know what grace does? Grace says that thing that held you bound, locked in sin, carry it. It doesn't own you anymore. You own it. The Bible says, for we are more than conquerors. Why would God say that we are more than conquerors? Why wouldn't he just say you're a conqueror? Because he wants you to know that you have dominion, you have authority over those things. They don't have you anymore. If you are a new creature in Christ, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So grab your mat. Stop trying to hide the mat. Stop trying to act like it never happened. It did happen. You did do that. You married them. You divorced them. You made the mistake. You got in the wreck. The thing happened. It happened. Don't leave the mat because the mat has a message and the message is grace. It's God showing his grace to your life. It's God showing, hey, the mat has a message. This represents not just what you're where you failed, this mat represents a trophy of God's grace that God could take you from where he took you and could bring you to where he's going to bring you is incredible because it doesn't own you anymore. The mat is not where you live anymore. This mat is not you. The reason many of us don't want to pick up the mat is because we say, well, that's my existence. That's who I am. No, it's not. You're not the mat. You're more than the mat. But would you touch your neighbor and would you say, hey, the mat, mat, Come on, come on, touch your neighbor. That was good, that was good. I worked all week on that. Come on, help me out. All right, I don't have a real job. That's just what I do all week. I just sit back. The mat matters. It matters. 
The mat in your life and in my life, they matter. But what is the message? What is the message? Because we're trying to make connections. We're trying to make connections. Hey, we're in John chapter number what? Five. How many covered colonnades are at this pool? Five. Five. It's interesting. We've got to make these connections. It's interesting, right? You know what the number five represents throughout Scripture? Grace. Grace. What's the message? The message is grace. All throughout the passage, God is trying to get you and I to see something in the passage. He's trying to get you and I to make the connections. There's all these connections that are there, but we miss it. And God is trying to say, it's my grace. It's my favor. It's my love that's going to set you free. It's what I'm doing. It's not what you've done. It's what I can do. You see, God is saying, hey, carry that thing that used to carry you. Take ownership of it. Make it, make it uh, uh, something that where you say, hey, this is not something where I am bound by it. This is something where I show ownership. You see, a lot of times we look at the mat and we say, well, that represents who I am. No, it represents where I was from, where God has brought me. So many times we, we stop talking about what God has done in our past. We want to hide it. No, what did the apostle Paul say? He says, my grace is sufficient for thee. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmity. Hey, I'm going to take glory in what God has done in my life. There's been some transformation that God has done. There's been some things that God has changed in my life. So I'm not going to try and cover up my past. My past describes me, but it will not define me. Don't let your past define you, but it does describe you. So don't just say, hey, those 38 years, those never happened. No, they did. It happened. It's part of your story. But God wants to get glory out of that story. God wants to redeem the mistakes. God wants to redeem those parts of you that you think aren't nice. God wants to take those and say, hey, this is what I'm going to do to show the lost world that I can transform a life. That's what God wants to do. But when we come to church and we act like I'm perfect, I've got it all together, and I've just never make any mistakes, we're robbing God of an opportunity to showcase his grace and his glory. We're saying, Lord, I'm a broken and a needy person, and I'm a need of your grace. I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, but Lord, you gave it and I'm going to walk in that. So this man, he's holding what no longer held him. But then God said, hey, take it. Why? Because God wants to take what is a misery and turn it into a ministry. That's what God does with these things. God's saying, hey, will you allow me to turn it into something? Will you allow me to take that pain? Will you allow me to take that hurt and turn it into something that can work for your good, that'll do something? I know some of you have been through some hurts, been through some difficulties, but God is saying, I want to use that this morning to minister and to help and to serve somebody else. So don't look at your past and say, well, it's got me bound. It's got me chained. No, no. God wants to use that to impact somebody else. Last night, I got a call late from a friend of mine. He said, hey, have, have, have you ever been through something like this? I said, yes and no. I said, yes, because I've been through the situation you've been through. But no, I haven't been through it quite like you've been through it. I can sympathize and empathize with you, but understand each trial is unique, but let me help you where I can help you. Let me encourage you where I can encourage you. So I took something from my past so I could minister to them because why? I had been through something. Some of you have 
been through the loss of a child. Some of you have been through a difficult time in your marriage. Some of you have been through the loss of a wayward teenager. Some of you have been through a drug addiction. Some of you have been through job loss. And you can minister to somebody else. So don't allow Satan to come in and say, you failed, you're a failure, your life is over, it's ruined, because it's not. Because God redeems those things that we think are not redeemable. God takes those things, transforms it, and he works it into what we would call an exceeding greater weight of glory. God uses it as only God can. Because God said there's a message in that mat. So will you allow your life to point others to Jesus Christ? But too often we just get folks focused on, no, 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 I just want to hide this. I just want to act like everything's all good, everything's honky-dory. But we got to miss, we can't miss that there is a message in the mat. But then we come to verse number 13. As the man is walking, he's excited. For the very first time, he is walking. His legs are working. He's got his mat. He is whistling. He's having a great day. It's exciting. It's the Sabbath, which means you go to temple because it would be our Sunday. And he's going. He's all happy. But then what happens? In verse number 10, the religious leaders of that day find him. Notice what the religious leaders do in verse number 10. And so the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath day. The law forbids you to carry your mat. Wait a minute. Here's a dude for 38 years has not walked. He is walking, holding his mat. And what do you notice? You notice the mat? That is what I call matness. Come on, church. I mean, that's just crazy, all right? The dude is walking, and all you think about is the mat? For real? That's what you noticed? It's like when our wives come in with a new haircut, and they just stare at us, and we're like, say something really quick. Like, she's trying to get my attention. We just miss the new haircut. We miss the new dress. Miss whatever. I mean, and that's the, one of these moments, except more awkward, because the dude is walking. You see, that's what happens. Religious leaders come on. And we do this in the church sometimes. Somebody hasn't been to church in 10 years. You know what we do? Well, where have you been? Are you kidding me? I'm in church. I'm back to church. How about, yes, so good to see you. We miss you. We're so glad you're here. We got a seat for you. Can we get you a cup of coffee? Can we get you a water bottle? Man, take my seat. I'm so excited. I've missed you. Let's catch up. Let's go to lunch afterward. No, instead we do the exact opposite. Hey, heard you wrecked your life. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I told you not to do that. Like, you are so stupid. For real? How about we just say, man, we're so excited that you are back. We're so excited what God's doing in your life. Why? Because we in our own lives, we miss the miracles that God is doing in people's lives. And we get focused on where they messed up. Hold on. Who left you in charge to judge somebody else's spirituality? Can we just right now give that back to God? Say, actually, God, I'm tired of doing your job. Let me give that back to you. Because I have better things to worry about than to walk around saying, well, you're not doing how I do it, and you're not, and you're not, and you're not, and you're not. And you're not. Man, nobody's as good as me. That's not grace. That's the antithesis of grace. And that's not what God wants. See, these religious leaders, they came. And you know, the, really, their greatest error that they make here is they got fixated on, and this is what is so dangerous that happens to grace. And this happens in churches all the time. They said, get your attention off of what God did and back on to what man can do, the law. Because man can do the law. Man can do the law. I can keep the Ten Commandments. Don't kill. Haven't done that one yet. Um, You know, it's one of those things where uh, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. Don't steal somebody's goat and camel and donkey. 
Not a problem. I don't have any neighbors that have donkeys. Like, none whatsoever. I'm good. I have some neighbors that act like, well, we won't go there. I'm a pastor. But anyway, it's one of those things where you say, man, I, I, I have no problem with that. The law, I can do the law. But grace, grace is not about the law. Grace is about what God did. And the goal, what these legalists are doing, they're saying it's all about what you do for God. And sometimes we've gone to churches that they say it's all about what you do for God. It's all about how you show up. It's all about how you give. It's all about how you serve. And don't get me wrong, those are good. But we don't do those to get favor or grace from God. And they were putting them back to the law. They were saying, hey, you need to keep the law. See, the law said you're not supposed to carry something over a certain weight. Come on, how much did the mat honestly weigh? For real. Maybe five pounds. This right here weighs about two pounds. All right. This mat, he, he wasn't dragging along a, 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 a Duxiana bed. All right. He didn't pick this thing up. Cal King, uh, uh, down comforter and everything. He wasn't hauling that with him. All right. He didn't have all that. It was a mat. It was a mat. And they were all about the law. And sometimes we in the church world, we look at people funny that don't keep the law. Here's the thing about the Sabbath. When we were in the Holy Land, our tour guide, he's not what we would call a Zionist Jew, somebody that believes that Jesus is the Messiah, but he gets it. He said, you guys, you guys mess up the Sabbath. He said, you don't understand. He said, you guys look at the Sabbath all wrong. He says, the Sabbath starts on Friday at sundown and goes to Saturday, sundown, 24 hours. And on Saturday, that day, uh, you would wake up for breakfast and it would be just a cold breakfast. You wouldn't cook anything. If you drove your car in the wrong neighborhood in Jerusalem, they would stone your car. They would throw, it would throw rocks at it. I mean, you're not supposed to be driving anything, not supposed to be doing any work. You're not supposed to take so many steps, all right? There are certain things you just don't do on the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath, you would work all week and then you'd get 24 hours of rest. But you'd work for the rest, when Jesus Christ got up out of the tomb, that day was Sunday. And on that day began the new first day of the week. This is interesting. You say, why? Because in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, it was all about earning a rest. When Jesus came, he brought a new covenant. He brought grace. And he says, hey, you're not going to work for your rest. I'm going to give you rest first, and then you're going to work because you had the rest. Because God says, I'm going to bless you. And out of that blessing, that's where you're going to serve me. Well, you parents, you know the sweetest thing is when your child comes up to you, gives you a hug, gives you a kiss, and says, thank you, mommy. Thank you, daddy. They weren't coerced to do it. They weren't forced to do it. But it's one of those sweet, very rare moments. But those are great moments when your child comes up to you and says, you're a great mom. You're a great dad. And they do it. Why? Because they understand how good you are. See, God wants you to serve him. But he wants you to serve him out of a heart of love. So don't go into your Sunday school class. Oh, man, I'm going to go serve in this Sunday school class. They better be happy that I showed up and I'm so gifted with me and my flannel graph, please, would you just not? Would you just not? I mean, your flannel graph is great and all, but if you can't do it with a good attitude, just don't. Well, they better be glad that I'm going to get up here and I'm going to sing in this choir and man, I'm not going to smile. I'm, man, no, ain't, ain't going to happen. I'm just going to just look like this because I don't have a good attitude and I'm going to, I'm, I'm, they're just so lucky to have me. Actually, no, just don't. Just, just, it's better you don't because God wants out of a heart that serves him out of a heart that says, Jesus died on a cross for me. I didn't deserve it. I did not deserve it. me on my best day. Heaven didn't stop. And they say, finally, Micaiah Ermler is worthy to send Jesus on a cross to die for him. Even on my best day, I'm unworthy. It's grace, y'all. 
It is the grace of God. And let us not frustrate the grace of God. Let us not cheapen the grace of God by saying, we're going to work for it and we're going to obey the law and I've earned God's favor and I've earned his grace. You can't, so stop. Because that's the message of the mat. So don't misinterpret the moment of what God is trying to do and what Jesus was trying to teach. He was trying to get their eyes off of the mat. And we in the church need to once again say, Lord, it is your grace. It is your work. It is you. It is nothing I can do. It is only the gift of God. I'm not worthy of it and I don't deserve it. But Lord, thank you for it. So out of that, I'll serve you. Out of that heart, I will give to you. Out of that heart, I will sing. And it's out of the heart that has experienced heartbreak, but still understands the goodness of God. It's that person when they sing, oh, that's a sweet song. It doesn't matter if they can hit the notes, because why? Their heart, it's there. It's the person who says, God has been so good to me. He's blessed me. And Lord, I don't have a lot, but Lord, I'm going to give back because I know how blessed I am. That's the heart that God looks down and says, that person gave more than everybody else. It's the person that says, you know what? I don't know why they would ask me to teach a Sunday school class. I'm not perfect. I've got a past, but God's redeemed me. And man, I'm so, I'm so blessed I get to teach a Sunday school class. I can't believe they asked me to teach a Sunday school class. And man, i got these four or five little children, and I get to teach them the Bible. Isn't God good? Because there was a day when I was strung out, thinking that my life was over, contemplating suicide, and here I am. If they could see me now, a couple years ago, they would never have thought I'd be where I am, serving the Lord, teaching the Word of God to young people who are just sitting, looking at me me thinking I'm the greatest thing in the world. This is awesome. Isn't grace good? Because that's where grace will take you. Grace will take you and say, hey, you're on a journey. You've been healed. Bring that mat with you because you're going to tell the world how God can change you. You're going to tell your neighborhood how God can change you. You're going to show the church how God can change you. You're going to change your community. Show your community how they can be changed because it's all about the grace of God. The greatest word in the Bible is grace, y'all. And may we never forget it. May we never underestimate the grace of God. And so for too long, we've looked at the mat and we thought, it's just a mat. But it's not. That's the message. That's the message. So this morning, your life, what's the mat that you carry? What's the mat you're hiding? What's the mat that you said, I'm going to church and I don't want anybody to see that because I'm going to church. This is a church where you can bring your mat because your neighbor is holding the mat. Your pastor is holding a mat. Associate pastor is holding the mat. Sunday school teacher is holding the mat. The usher is holding the mat. Everybody's got a mat. We're all broken. And we all come to the same grace of God. To Lord, I need you. I'm broken and I can't fix myself. There was nothing the man on the mat could do. There was nothing he could do. But then Jesus showed up. Some of you have been trying to fix your life for so long. You've tried. You've tried everything. Everything. And it's not working. It's kind of simply say, Lord, nothing to your cross I bring. Simply to your cross I cling. That's it. That's only Jesus. It's only him. And until we get that, our Christian life won't make sense. We're going to just be doing, doing, serving, wondering why. 
until we understand that he's given us so much, so much. And it's time we say, Lord, I'm coming back to you. I'm going to ask the musicians to come to the front. Can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? Friend, what are you trusting to save you? What is that one thing that you think is your ticket to heaven? Are you trusting some good works? Are you trusting that you went to Sunday school that one time? Are you trusting the fact that you showed up at church this morning to get you to heaven? What's that thing you think is going to get you in? And if you can come up with anything other than Jesus, I'm here to tell you, it's not going to work. The Bible says, for by grace alone you have been saved. Not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And grace is God's greatest gift. It's for you. It's for me. It's something I need each and every day. But especially if I'm going to receive him. So let me ask you again, friend. What are you trusting to get you into heaven? And if it's anything other than Jesus, today you've got to make a decision. How many would say that if you were to die today, God forbid, you know 100% sure that heaven will be your home. Could you slip up a hand? You know 100% sure heaven will be your home. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Amen. Put your hands down. If you are not able to answer that question, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to have somebody open a Bible and show you how you can know for sure that heaven is your home. That's why we want you here. To tell you the greatest story ever told. So let me ask this last question. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, but you want to, and if you just slip up your hand so we can pray for you and see you, is anybody like that? You say, today, I give my life, my all to Jesus. Anybody like that? If you need somebody to talk to or somebody to pray, pray with afterward, you find me. You find one of us. We're wearing orange badges. We'll be glad to help you. But church, I got to talk to us. We're real good at religion. We're real bad at grace. We're real good at doing the law and measuring ourselves by the law, thinking we're better instead of understanding that we measure ourselves by grace. And this morning, I hope we've been challenged to understand that God wants to take that one thing that we think is so awful about us and God wants to redeem it. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. Thank you for the time we've had together. Lord, we desperately need you. We need more of your grace, your favor, your love. Lord, I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that we wouldn't leave here the same. We'd leave here changed. I pray that people would make a decision to follow you. Lord, I pray that people that came in burdened down would find freedom in Christ. They'd find new life in you. I pray that you would speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.